Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Healthy Tech Talk. Today, we're going to be talking about call centers and how to get the most out of the call. This is a really good podcast, I think, because a lot of people aren't aware of what the call center has to go through, what their obligations are on their side, and actually what your obligations are as a user on your side. Did you know that you had obligations? Yeah? Well, let's take you into the podcast. Thanks for coming. Bye-bye. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Healthy Tech Talk. Today's topic is going to be one of my all-time favorites because I used to work in a call center for three years. So it's entitled Call Centers, Getting the Most Out of the Call. And I think this one is going to be extremely popular for all you people out there in podcast land that call a call center or need to have a little bit of help when you do call a call center. So I've created a podcast about call centers. It seems that If you're a person with a broken computer or printer and you find yourself on one side of the fence and the people who work at the call center are on the other side of that fence, no one seems to be sharing the correct information sometimes. I don't know if you've you've noticed that, but if you have stories, um, email me with your stories at uh, healthytechtalk at gmail.com. Good, bad, or indifferent, and uh, we may even put them on the air. I'm here to to help you tear that fence down today and with good reason. During this podcast, I'm going to explain reasons why call centers do the things that they do and why you as a client can end up tearing your hair out and having your blood pressure rise to unhealthy levels. So let's start with the basics. We have to keep in mind that call centers employ people who are either answered an ad in a newspaper or attended a job fair or heard from a friend of a friend that a call center was looking for help. Now, to be fair, There are some brilliant people that work in the call centers. That being said, the entire building in a call center is not completely filled with brilliant people. It's a blend of good, better, and best. Just look around where you are at work now. I'm certain that you'll find that there are people that don't have a complete passion for what they do at the moment. And life's just like that. It happens everywhere. Please understand that I'm not attempting to make excuses for anyone. It's just that being human can also mean being imperfect and fallible as well. Now that I've somewhat set the stage, let's talk about clients that phone into the call centers. In the same way that there are imperfect call center employees, there are also imperfect call center clients. After several times of trying to fix the issue themselves, the client's knee-jerk reaction quite often is to phone the call center and begin to rant and rave about their piece of equipment that is broken without even picking up the manual. That happened to me constantly when I was at the call center. Here's a little tidbit that I picked up in college when I was studying electronics and computer repair. My instructors drilled this in until it was our mantra. Here it is. You ready? They said in the majority of cases, when you're dealing with something electronic or computer-related, 90% of issues can be solved using basic, very basic troubleshooting skills. Basic troubleshooting means looking through the manual and going through your step-by-step procedure in that document until you have exhausted all of your options. Then you pick up the phone and start dialing the call center. But, I mean, come on, guys out there, I I mean, wives, you know, how many times does does your husband read the manual? He'll first try to put something together. The very last thing he does is read the manual, right? Right. Here's another little gem of knowledge that I picked up in college. College does not make you a more intelligent person. 
truly it doesn't. College teaches you how to look for and use information efficiently and effectively. All you have to do is, is use a system of logical steps to find the answer. And I have a few suggestions to you that will make phoning a call center a lot easier on both you and the call center agent that you have to work with. There is some homework that you should do fairly soon to ensure things go really smoothly when you need to make that all-important call. Information gathering is extremely important. You have no idea how many calls came into the center where I worked at and the client did not have the model number or the serial number of the unit that they owned when they made the call. If the agent does not know the model number, they simply cannot bring up the proper technical manual in order to help you. And if you're a client and you don't have that information and you've waited on hold for over 30 minutes in order to get through to the agent and then you're faced with phoning them back after you get the information, wow, that stress that could have been avoided. Model and serial numbers can be in the most unusual places on the equipment that you own. Some of them are in the back, some of them are on the bottom, and some are located inside the machine on a door. For example, on many printers, they're located, you have to open the door first and take out the, um, the uh, ink cartridge. And you wouldn't even know where it, it was if the manual didn't tell you where to look. It seems that some manufacturers just don't make it easy for the consumers to get the, the model numbers. Okay, so create plans to put all of your information together. So that's what we're going to do in this podcast for you today. And I'm also going to put show notes up. The way that I've been trained may help you. Here's, here's the breakdown that I'll outline. This is what we learned in college. You want to go through all of your computer equipment and record the model and the serial numbers. Then pull out all the manuals, if you still have them, and transfer the information to the front page of each manual that you have for that particular machine. Now, if you don't have the manual, I would strongly suggest that you go to the Internet and print out the manual, if possible, on the Internet. Uh, if you were in a habit of saving your receipts when you purchased the items, now would be a good idea to staple the receipt to the front page of the manual as well. The reason for this is that the call center may want to know where the machine was purchased and when. And if you have a receipt, you have absolute proof for the agent because that's all the agent's looking for is, is proof, right? It's important that you work from a main point of reference. Since you have all of the manuals out, put them in folders and file them away where you can quickly get your hands on them whenever you need to. Now, I'm going to assume that you work on either a, a computer or a Mac-based product, so um, that computers are usually hooked up to other peripherals, such as printers and high-speed modems and plotters and scanners and whatever else you have. It's a great idea to take a piece of paper right now and make a sketch of all of the equipment you have and how it's connected to the computer. This is quite important because if you have challenges with your equipment, you can actually use this homemade diagram you've made and fax it to the call center so they can have a more accurate picture of your equipment cluster. If you're feeling really adventurous, this is what I would suggest you do. Take pictures of your equipment with a digital camera, especially the back of the machine or where they are physically connected to the other machines. And I'll I'll tell you why. Because it really helps the tech on the other end of the call to see whether it's an RJ45 connection, whether it's a parallel, whether it's a serial, whether it's a USB, whether it's a firewire. And if you don't know that, the last thing you want to do is be confused by the, the connection that you've got. 
okay? Because this can be valuable to a technician because they need to know what kind of connection you have on that particular equipment. And, and the nice part about a digital picture is you can always email them the picture to the agent. Sometimes we had to do that. And they'll be able to recognize the connection or cable that you're referring to. Another reason for a good digital picture is that if you take a picture of your model number and serial number of the machine and email it to the agent, again, you have absolute proof of the correct information. Because if the, if the agent on the line is arguing with you and you have a digital picture of the model number and serial number, they say, no, that one doesn't make sense. If you send it to them, that ends the argument, right? So make it easier on yourself and make it easier on them as well. So next step, after you've completed your entire information gathering system, you are more than prepared than the average user, and you may very well have just lowered your anxiety and stress level when you need to phone the call center. You've prepared yourself, and believe me, that is half the battle. Now, I will outline what happens when you need some serious help and things aren't going very well for you. This is the point where the machine works only partially or something connected to your computer won't work properly. At this point, you need to be a little bit of a detective. Cabling and physical connections can be another area that needs to be looked at very, very closely. If a machine is giving you trouble, make sure that you take one of your hands and physically place it on the cable and trace it all the way to the connecting machine. Check for those loose connections and find out if they're split or frayed wires. In addition, if you have animals like dogs or cats that can get in behind the machine and wiggle the connectors back and forth, that's another reason to check how tight the connectors are. Now, a little bit of a story here. Uh, when I was a computer technologist, a hardware brake fix, um, I got a call with what we call a four-hour response, and, and these were expensive because you had to be at the site within four hours, and we built up quite a bit of money for that particular contract. And I was about 150 miles away from the call that came in, and the young lady said, my modem or my, uh, my debit card machine will not work. It's just I don't get a dial tone or anything, and I said, okay, first basic troubleshooting step. I want you to take a look to see if the telephone connectors are connected properly. And she said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I said, no, no, you, you really have to slow down and you have to physically check. And she said, you know what? I don't want to get my dress dirty and crawl underneath a desk. And I, and I asked, I gave her the opportunity three times. I said, okay, let's go over basis. You need to take one of your hands and, and check every single telephone connection to make sure that it hasn't come disconnected. She said, I don't want to do it. I don't want to get my dress dirty. And so after three times, I just I, I stopped that method of, of questioning, and I said, okay, I'll be there in four hours. And I documented in my notes of the call that I asked three times the person, and three times she said she didn't want to crawl underneath the desk because she'd get her, desk, her, her, her dress dirty. So I arrive a couple of hours later. I had to be there within four hours. I walk into the office and I can see from across the room, across the room, mind you, a telephone cable that was dangling underneath the desk. And believe me, it was not dirty under there. So I walked up to her, introduced myself, shook her hand, took about another 20 steps over to the machine, plugged the, the, the telephone cable in, and we charged that company a disgusting amount of money because one person didn't want to check one cable, and that turned into a four-hour response call. So, I mean, it, it does happen, 
And I don't know if that young lady still had a job when I left. I, I didn't want to know because, you know, it, it's the most basic things that get you in the most trouble. You know, if you can't take the time and check every single cable before you make that call, um, it, it's crucial. Okay. So moving on, peripheral PC cards in a computer can be moved or rocked back and forth over time. You know, when you, when you, uh, if you have a tower computer, if you accidentally move it, they can, they can rock back and forth. Um, these can be video cards or serial or SCSI cards or any other card that can be physically connected to the other machines. If any of those cards have partially rocked out of its connector, it can easily create what we call an intermittent connection. So some days it'll work, some days it won't. In these cases, you may have to take the cover off the PC and check the cards to make sure that they are solidly connected. Now, please bear in mind that if you ever have to take the cover off of your PC, first, you must shut the PC down. Shut it down completely and unplug all power sources going to that PC and all power sources going to the peripherals that are hooked up to the computer. Okay. Before you crack a case on a PC, if you're uncertain, don't do it. Get somebody else to help you. Okay. Usually your computer has a special section in the manual to show you how to take the cover off. And it should also show you the procedure for installing new cards. A comprehensive manual will have pictures of diagrams to show you step by step how to take a card out and put it back. Once again, the machine must be turned off and power must be unplugged, completely unplugged. This step is important and should not be overlooked. If you are not mechanically inclined and would rather not take the case off of the computer and go poking around inside, have a friend check the connections for you if you can. Okay, so now let's recap what we've done so far. We finished our information gathering and completely checked all of the cables and physical connections to all of the machines that are attached to the PC. At this point, we still have to play detective for a little bit, so we have to ask ourselves some questions to help us determine our next course of action. Here are some questions that you need to answer before phoning the call center. First one, when did the challenge begin, and is it reoccurring, or is it the first time that it's been happening? That's very, very important. Number two, did you add any hardware or software to the computer recently. This includes any drivers for the computer or related equipment or updates. Well, Windows is famous for updates and sometimes it does a rollback where the update will not work and it may not be hardware related, it could be software related. So we have two worlds really in a computer, hardware and software, and both can just drive you right around the bend, believe me. Number three, have you checked to make sure that the computer has power? And don't laugh at this because a lot of people, they do, you know, it's either got it switched off or the power bar switched off or it's not plugged in or something. So it can happen to, to some really bright people. Number four, is the computer giving you any error messages and have you written them down exactly word for word? I cannot tell you how important this is because if somebody has to go into a Microsoft knowledge base, that message that the computer is throwing out is extremely important. Number five, have you moved any equipment recently? That's very important. Number six, does anyone else use your computer? And if they have, did they change any settings? And if you're not sure, go to that person and ask them. Number seven, have you completed 
an antivirus and an anti-spyware scan on your computer PC. Now, I am so excited about the new security suite coming out from Microsoft. It's going to be a free suite. And you know, I think here's my personal opinion. I think Microsoft has been vulnerable over the years. People say, oh, Apple can't be hacked with viruses and things like that. I'm not sure. We're seeing more virus activity on the Mac side. Mac has, has been fairly immune to that. But now I think Microsoft has do, done a brilliant job because who best to write an antivirus program than the people that actually wrote the original program? Because to be honest with you, they know their vulnerabilities. They know their holes. They know where their weak system is. They know on a Monday that engineer might not have been, you know, he spilled his coffee and was having a bad day and he, he wasn't particularly on the job mentally that day. You know, I mean, come on. If you th do things in-house, you know, you, or you should know, the vulnerabilities of some of your programs. So I think it's, uh, I think it's a very good thing that Microsoft uh, actually writes their own uh, antivirus uh, programs. And there's a lot of people out there that are excited. And, and hats off to Microsoft for doing that. Okay, number eight. Have you completed a full backup of your system files? I cannot tell you <laughs> how many times people have phoned in to the, to the call center and says, I have completely lost all of my information. Now, usually that's not true. And here's what I would suggest. Um, go over to um, uh, Steve Gibson's website, Gibson Research, I believe, and get SpinWrite. Uh, that is a particular... Um, a uh, software program that will help you recover or bring a, what, what you think might be a dead drive back to life. Or there are expensive, and I mean expensive, recovery programs that you can pay. But sometimes you, you may think all of, your, uh, all of your information is gone. Probably isn't. I mean, there's companies out there that are willing to go to the nth degree. They'll even replace platters on your hard drive. It may be expensive. So, you know, hard drive storage is so cheap. now, And so, do, so are DVDs. If it's really important, back it up. I got a, a terabyte drive uh, for around 100 and what was it, 120 bucks a couple of months ago, and they've dropped quite a bit since then. Now you can get a terabyte for 100 bucks. And I know some people are even picking them up for 80 bucks. So there is no reason not to have a couple of terabyte drives hanging around. So, number nine, does your computer have enough ventilation around it to avoid overheating? Now, this is a true story. My wife had a, a computer tower based computer in her office and um, I, I just cringe every time I see these desks that have just a little teeny tiny little space to put the tower computer and, and hardly any ventilation whatsoever so she needed a uh, she, she worked on, with books all day so I thought I'd be nice husband and go out and get her a really good quality video card a higher refresh rate and, and all of that and it had a fan but this particular video card ran very very hot and I installed it, and in about three months afterwards, um, the computer kept rebooting. And I traced it to, it was a heat issue with the video card, and also the computer was not getting enough ventilation. Um, when, when I ha I'm, I've built several scenarios with my computers. Once I had a closet, and I took a fan, a big fan, and put it underneath the computer, and I put wire mesh uh, so the fan would blow air through the wire mesh onto the computer, and that was a fantastic way to keep a computer cool. Now, I've got a server cabinet in the broadcast studio now, and I'm going to do the exact same thing when I move all of my electronics 
into one of the server cabinets. I'm going to have a big fan going at low or medium all the time and then I'm going to have uh, uh, thick wire mesh so air can easily transfer up through because I'll tell you what, the biggest failure, component failure of anything electronic is heat failure, heat exhaustion. Okay, number 10. Have you checked all power bars that feed electricity to the computer for damage? Some manufacturers of power bars will suggest that they be changed every six months. If you suspect a faulty cable or power bar, replace it and monitor the computer to see if you can duplicate the results. Here's a little trick that I did when I was out in the field. Uh, if I suspected that there was a machine being driven past the heat threshold and it was and it was turning on and off for no for no apparent reason, I would always take a, a cheap hair dryer, a blow dryer with me in my toolkit, and I would put a little heat on the motherboard for for about five or six minutes and to see if I could force it over the heat threshold. And it didn't take long. And uh, once I knew that the heat was applied and it drove it over the threshold, then I knew, okay, heat related. And we, nowadays you don't replace components. You just replace the entire system board. So that was a little trick that, that I used. If you suspect heat related, put a blow dryer on there for a couple of minutes. See if you can drive it past the heat threshold. Okay, number 11. Have you thoroughly and honestly gone through the manual step by step to do all of the basic troubleshooting necessary to find out what could be the cause of the issue. I know that there are some brilliant people out there that want to sidestep or miss steps when they call the technical help center. But remember, the people that work at a technical call center have a duty. They are mandated by the manufacturer to follow basic troubleshooting steps. Even if they think or they know it may not be the issue, they still have to do that because their calls, many of their calls are recorded and they're evaluated. That's how they get their raises. That's how they, they, they get a performance evaluation. And if they miss a couple of troubleshooting steps, they can no longer, in some cases, be a call center agent. So it's very important because let's figure this out. If you were IBM, uh, Toshiba, Apple, or any of them, and you said, okay, we're going to set up a call center and we're going to help people, but because we know that there's different um, user levels of intelligence, you have to start with the very, very basic things. Is the machine turned on? Are the cables connected? Is, you know, so you've got to go through the, the most basic thing and then build up from there. Okay, so number 11, after number 11, it says, after you've answered all of these questions, your phone call to the help center should go quite smoothly because you won't have to think on the fly and try to remember details when you're anxious about the procedure. Believe me, if you're presented with a few well-placed questions that you can't answer quickly and fully, you might get frustrated with yourself and that's when the stress enters the picture and any communication between you and the call center agent can spiral right out of control. Keep in mind that the agent must go through a basic troubleshooting list with you and that list is scripted. These are people who have taken some form of basic training on the equipment they are helping you with, but as a rule, they are not field agents that have practical knowledge. These agents have theoretical knowledge which can limit their experience. Now let me tell you a little story. Uh, I was, uh, I've done uh, notebook computers, I've done uh, plotters, I've done printers, I was, on the, um, I was on the business side for the printer end as well. 
And there was one particular printer that I worked out as a field field agent, and it had a, a nasty habit of it had a little rocker switch on the on-off switch. You're familiar with the rocker switch? It's, it's kind of it's it's shaped like a half moon thing, and inside the printer there's a little piece of wire built bent in an L shape, and it pokes through um, a little hole in the rocker switch. And quite often on this particular model of, of uh, printer, if you were just a little bit too aggressive and you turned it on and off uh, uh, a little bit more forcefully, the piece of metal would unseat from the rocker switch and completely pop off. So if your machine was off and you wanted to turn it on and that little piece of metal popped off, it wasn't, you weren't going to turn it on. Absolutely, there was no chance whatsoever and you couldn't see that uh, little piece of metal. So when I came to work at the call center, my first couple of calls on this particular printer got me really excited because I went to my supervisors and I said, look, as a field technician, I was fixing these computer, or these printers every day and it's just such a simple fix and I know that it states in our manual and, and, and our mandate that we should never have the client take the sides off of the printer because that's for a technician to do. I said, but these people were really anxious. This, they were in a lot of trouble. They had to get these reports printed. So I said to my supervisor, with your permission, if they're comfortable and if they waive all liability, can I step them through the process? Can I get them to take the side off the printer? I can have this thing fixed in under five minutes. They said, okay, but be forewarned. If this screws up, it's on your head. I said, okay. So I had I asked the person if, if they were you know fairly uh, comfortable with doing a mechanical process on the printer. They said, sure. So they took the side off, and in under five minutes, I got them to take that little piece of metal and reseat it in that little hole and then bend it back so it would never come off that rocker switch again. And in under five minutes, I made so many people happy with that particular printer, you have no idea. It A, avoided sending a tech out to the field. It B, created such a happy customer because now... In under five minutes, they could print to their heart's delight. And I'll tell you, you know, you're a lawyer and you need something printed, you're going to Supreme Court or something, and you depend on these printers, you have to have them up and running. And they just simply could not wait for the next day. They would have to, you know, transfer their files and, and take it down to Kinko's or something, and that's time and money wasted. So throughout this broadcast, I needed to paint a very, very vivid picture of you of real-life examples for both the call center agent and the clients that phone in. Now, as a rule, the help desk agents do a fairly reasonable job of fixing issues over the phone. In some cases, a technician may be needed to send, you have to send it on site, or if the client may need to take the machine into the nearest re repair depot. And if it's under warranty, that's a good thing because you don't need to spend any money on parts or service. But if you've lost your data and not backed it up in some time, that can be devastating. So these podcasts are designed to decrease your technical stress level. And I'll create more shows in a series and also be willing to branch out in other areas of technology as requests come in. Um, I will also post the transcript on my blog so you can review the series of questions that I've presented for you. So uh, if you have any questions, just give us, uh, um, send us an email at healthytechtalk uh, at gmail.com. Alrighty? So I hope that you've got, you know, there, there's so many times that people, I hear horror stories uh, about call centers. And also because I've lived 
eaten and slept at a call center as a, as a second level agent and part of their training development site for three years. I know what clients go through. I also know what technicians go through. So this podcast was designed to really take a lot of stress out of the fact that, uh, you know, you, you got to do, you have to do your due diligence as a client before you phone that call center. Because it's not easy for the technicians either. And and here's a funny little exercise that, that we did um, in the call center to show communication. And here's here's what happened. We would take, uh, you know, the... Um, the uh, oh the little blocks the little building blocks with little dimples on them it's not mechano um, Lego you know the Lego blocks and they came in different sizes and, and different colors and stuff well we would have sets uh, four complete sets of Lego blocks and they would have like 20 pieces a piece but we would have four complete kits and the exact same Lego pieces were in each kit so we would divide into a couple of teams and one team one side's job was to construct the most bizarre invention they could with their Lego blocks and get really creative and then have a piece of cardboard in front so the other person across the table couldn't see what they were doing. And then it was up to the other person to take another set, another kit of Lego blocks and duplicate exactly what the other person had made by simply asking questions. And it really taught you how to ask questions and to be logic and how to actually pull and fish information out of people because you're talking to a, to a person, uh, say you're a call center agent and a person wants help with their computer and you say, okay, so what's it doing? And the client says, well, I don't know. <laughs> well, that's not a very good answer. Okay, so you've got to go back to basic. So they really had to work hard and one misplaced question would completely disassociate the building process of those Lego blocks and the person would build something that didn't even resemble the main uh, picture that the first first person built with their Lego blocks. And it was a really interesting uh, experiment to show people how fast communication can go wrong and then when you build uh, on top of that with bad communication, it just gets worse and worse and worse. So that was an extremely good exercise to show people, you know what, if you don't ask the right intelligent questions, you are really in trouble. So I hope you enjoyed this podcast. And as I say, I'm going to put up um, the questions on the blog. And if you've had any experiences, good or bad, um, or if you have any tips or tricks for other people out there, other listeners about call centers, give us an email, won't you? All right. So this is our podcast for today. And we'll, we'll talk to you again. Thank you so much for joining. Bye-bye. Take care.